All right, uh, why don't we get started? Um, thank you everyone for coming out on a nice warm evening and spending your time with the Neighborhood Association. Uh, we do have a jam-packed night and I'm excited about all of that's being presented. Um, gonna cover some ground rules really quickly. Please enter your questions into the chat or raise your hand to speak. Um, Rachel will be uh, monitoring the chat. So if you have any questions, you can send them directly to her or in the chat uh, directly. And then uh, please, no interruptions, uh, behave with some common, common courtesy. We have some great speakers here tonight. And we have a lot to cover, so uh, let's be diligent of, of our time. The agenda, uh, we're here to start with Officer Walker with the Crime and Safety Report. She has to jump off here uh, momentarily, then we'll get into Ward 17 updates with our Alderwoman. Uh, some various community updates, uh, the treasurer's report, and a discussion about becoming a nonprofit. We have a wonderful group of people from the Tower Grove Connector Project, Katie Shackleford, Taylor March, Scott Ogilvie, Sarah Arnowski, and Cindy Mentz. And then we will jump into Prop R and some discussions of the bylaws. So without further ado, let's jump into the crime and safety report. Officer Walker. Hello, everyone. How's everybody doing today? Um, not sure if you got a chance to go over um, you guys' report, but it looked like you had a uptick in crimes this um, this past week. Um, you didn't have no assaults, no major assaults, no major robberies, and you guys didn't have any Cadillac converter thefts in your neighborhood. Um, if you can't say for some of the other neighborhoods, they've been getting uh, hit a little bit when it comes to those Cadillac converters. So be mindful of that, that um, their crime is back up and, and going. And like I said, some of my neighborhoods are sending a little bit more than others, but so far, of course, Park Southeast has not had that problem. I did get a request for some extra patrols over in the 4200 block of Norfolk, relative to someone possibly casing homes. I don't know if you guys heard anything about that. So that's been put out to the district for the guys to get some extra patrols. Um, hopefully myself, I'll be able to get out and get some patrols in there also. Um, I've been out for about the last week and a half due to my father's passing. So I am playing catch up a little bit around here. Um, you guys had about seven car cloutings along that Manchester area again. We had some car break-ins, items stolen, some windows smashed. Um, one of the car thefts, there was a firearm stolen out the car. So again, I kind of try to remind people, you know, not to leave your firearms in the car. But I know that the majority of these uh, firearms that are being stolen are possibly from people that are going to patronize the uh, restaurants along the Manchester area. So if you can, be mindful. Don't lock your guns in your car. If you have to, look into possibly getting some type of gun um, gun locked to put inside your um, vehicles. Again, we're telling everyone to be mindful of the gas station drive-offs. Um, if you heard on the news, there was someone else who had their car taken while they were pumping gas. We mentioned that before. If you got to pump your gas, make sure you lock your doors. Don't leave your vehicles running while you're pumping gas because there's always someone's looking. The criminals are looking. If you don't see them, not to attend, somebody's watching you. So be mindful when you go to the gas stations not to leave your doors unlocked and not to leave your cars running. Also, I know it's cold outside and everybody wants to get in you know, to heated cars. If your car doesn't have automatic start, please don't leave your car outside running. 
people see it, they see the smoke coming out, the cars out there running, they're going to come in, jump in, and take off. We had quite a few of those also. Um, key five stars. Some of those are um, are good, but it's an issue with those also that just because you know you start your car with a key five, those cars can still be taken and be driven um, for quite a while before they're actually cut off. Um, some cars will get a little further than others, but that's something to be mindful of also when it comes to warming up your car for those key fobs. And also, don't leave the key fob in the car. Um, we had a car that um, got, got this car running over in, I believe it's Botanical Heights neighborhood, jumped out and ran to pick up his restaurant order and came back out and his car was gone. So that's one of those lessons where we say don't leave your vehicle running. Uh, I don't know if you guys said it again. I'm sorry, Officer Walker. We had a question in the chat uh, before you moved on, and uh, Aaron was wondering which gas station the report was from. That was it was a county um, gas station. I can't think of the name. It wasn't a city incident, but again, we just want to be mindful because we did have quite a few of those that happened um, in our area up on a. Clayton and Skinka area, and I believe down on South Grand before. So this was just a reminder. It was on the news. It wasn't the city of St. Louis, but it can happen to us. It has happened to us in the past, so that is something to be mindful of. Park smart again. Don't leave your valuables in your cars. Um, cars getting broken into. Don't leave your garage door openers in your cars. Criminals are breaking into the cars, and they are taking those also. So that it means they broke into your car, and now they have access to your garage or your house, but some of us, you know, leave our doors unlocked. So be mindful of that if your garage door openers in your car, it can possibly be taken, and now this person has access to your house. Uh, again, Cadillac converter thefts, be mindful to hide your car is off the ground. You know, it could be an easy target to get that converter thug stolen. And again, there's no particular car in mind. They're just out here taking them off in any car they seem fit. Burglaries, I kind of, Tell everyone, hey, light up your house. The brighter your house is, the criminal moves on to the next house. So if you can leave on your porch lights, get some motion lights, light up your house. The brighter it is outside, the criminal goes somewhere else, somewhere where it's darker. So if you can, light it up. I don't believe it costs that much to have your porch lights on, but just be mindful, light up your house. And they kind of help. Uh, rain cameras are a good thing if it's a crime that didn't happen on your block. Um, if you have a video of a crime, we would ask that you send that in to us or let the officers know. You can email me that information and CC one of the detective sergeants whose information was provided on the, um, the second sheet for you guys. That way, if we're both in there, I can make sure that they did get it um, and we can go ahead and get that information forwarded to the detective bureau so that they can have a heads up and maybe get in contact with you or some of the other neighbors if they have some crime, um, some video of the crime. Uh, captured. If anybody has any other questions for me, let me know. Like I said, you guys are pretty much short. You had one identity theft report, one harassment report, and again, it was a UU uh, flourishing, as you should say, something with an um, incident at a stoplight, and then the eight car clients where cars was broken into, and miscellaneous items were taken. Anyone have a question about any of that or have any issues you guys need us to um, focus on besides the 4200 block of Norfolk? Doesn't sound like it. Um, 
we do have your contact information here. Um, if anyone like like to reach out to you, if they do have concerns, um, if anyone has any questions, you can always reach out to the neighborhood association, and we can forward them on to Officer Walker. Um, that being said, uh, unless there's any more questions in the chat, we'll we'll move on. All right. Well, thank you, Officer Walker. All right, we are going to jump into uh, ward updates. Alderwoman Peel is here with us tonight and has some updates on development and other things happening in the ward. Alderwoman. Thank you, Dan. Good evening, everyone. Uh, yeah, I'm going to be providing some ward updates. And uh, I actually just wanted to start. Uh, with talking about, and I talked about this on the ward meeting, and that is uh, two weekends ago, if some people didn't know, there was a extreme uh, fentanyl overdose um, case here in the 17th ward in which seven people died in the Parkview apartments on Forest Park and Newstead. And uh, myself and uh, some other elected officials, uh, public safety and enforcement, and the neighborhood association that is mostly directly impacted by that um, fentanyl overdose, we are going to be holding neighborhood and listening meetings regarding that situation. And this situation is uh, twofold. It's a public health issue and it's also a community safety issue. But more greater, it is a public health issue because since uh, that has happened in the last week, three more people have um, overdosed. Uh, and so this is a continual problem, not just here in the 17th Ward um, in this neighborhood, but throughout the city. So it is something that uh, is now a great priority um, on the top of the list uh, regarding this, as this case has brought to the forefront what is happening here in this ward too. Um, so we're going to be starting listening sessions uh, at the end of February and March, again, with the immediate neighborhood involved. Uh, and I also have talked about on the previous um, neighborhood association meeting last month, I talked about how I have been developing a community grassroots public safety community group. And Darius Young from Botanical Heights is uh, going to be chairing that. And what that is, is, is bringing together the different neighborhoods and talk about the public safety issues, bring together um, uh, Ron Pullman and NSI and, uh, and the police officers, et cetera, and work on this on a grassroots level and work on this, these safety issues and public health issues in terms of working together um, as a community, because what I've seen and in, in terms of this is that when we work together as a community and get to know our neighbors better, uh, a lot of this is mitigated. And Dan, I don't know if you were able to get the link at all um, that I had sent. I could try to send it out. There is an article from the Times Magazine, December 21st, 2021, that talks about grassroots public public safety committees in communities. And it actually uh, focuses on St. Louis and how 
that having these grassroots initiatives have helped mitigate some of the crime that has happened here in St. Louis and elsewhere in the nation. So that's the first um, uh, update I wanted to provide. Uh, the next update I'm gonna provide is about the equitable development contribution. In the next few months, we should be able to be receiving the $900,000 for the 17th Ward for the affordable, for affordable housing repair. And so right now I'm working a board bill through uh, legislation to be able to actually disseminate that money to the affordable housing trust fund and to the healthy home repair program. I'll give you more updates um, as that gets passed uh, through the board of older people. Uh, the next uh, update will be on developments here in the community. Um, first uh, is regarding Lux Living. Um, I have been in a conversation with Lux Living. Uh, the focus uh, over the two community engagement meetings is that we want to have the uh, entrance and egress uh, from their uh, Kings Highway properties uh, come from Kings Highway. And so I am in communication with them. And so one of the things that they have come back with and we're looking at is the setbacks. Um, if they um, come from Kings Highway, um, they may not be able to do the uh, 25 foot setback. We're looking at other alternatives in terms of setbacks. Um, as we um, look into that, uh, this will come back up to the neighborhood group uh, in terms of how to make the decision on where we're gonna be placing um, the entrance um, exit for that particular development and looking at setbacks. So I will keep you updated regarding that but it definitely is gonna be coming back to the um, neighborhood and community in terms of uh, if we're not able to get everything at once. So I'm not gonna be making the decision for the neighborhood regarding either you know, the setbacks or uh, where the project is gonna be, where people are gonna be entering or exiting uh, in terms of the development. We're still looking into that, Sarah. Uh, Sarah wrote, what did MoDOT say about an entrance on Kings Highway? So that's still being looked at through the streets department. The other update um, is uh, regarding uh, the Manchester properties. I'm working with the cultural resources officer um, regarding you know, the demolition. They still haven't submitted the plans in terms of that, those properties on what they wanna build on it. So at this point in time, um, it is where it is at, at this time, but I'm in uh, contact with the Cultural Resources Office regarding um, that property. Uh, the other properties I just want to talk about are that um, there's going to be student housing up at SLU and at Aptitude is called the Developers or Aptitude, and that's going to be right next to the city foundry and the fire firehouse there on Van de Bender and Forest Park. It's going to be about a 150-room um, apartment complex uh, for students. And a new development that is going to be happening, and we're going to have a community, we're going to have community engagement meetings, is uh, on the, uh, it's called the Copler site, which is Lindell and Kings Highway, right next to the 100. Um, in March, uh, is going to be the first community engagement meetings regarding um, that new proposed uh, apartment complex. Uh, and it's going to be, again, on the corner of Lindell and Kings Highway. I'll give you more updates about that when the community engagement meetings will be so that you can participate in them. 
The next update, uh, another development project is the Tower Grove Connector. Um, I just met with the consultants, Park Central, and um, some the other two alder regarding the Tower Grove Connector. Uh, the Tower Grove Connector, uh, we have put and contributed about $300,000 um, into the Tower Grove Connector project, which is a, a, a bike project from Tower Grove all the way to Van de Vender, then going north on Van de Vender, and then um, uh, continuing on Sarah. And, and not to interrupt you, but we do have them uh, tonight as one of our uh, guest speakers. So, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll happily go into more detail about all of it. Okay, so uh, Sarah, I see you now. <laughs> um, so they can give you more of an update. Uh, I will just say that uh, $180,000 has been um, con committed to that particular project from the 17th Ward's capital funds. Um, and so uh, that's how much that was committed to that particular project. Um, with the uh, previous older person. Uh, people wanted to know about uh, recycling. So at this point in time, um, Rubicon, a software company um, that does smart waste and recycling, it, we have employed it as a um, company to look at our recycling here in the city and how we could be more effective. It's gonna be a three month contract and we'll see um, what results we'll get. Uh, I am supposed to be getting another update from the mayor's office regarding recycling uh, in, in the next month and how that's going to proceed forward. Uh, the 50-50 sidewalk program, it is actually restarting. So the new director, um, Bethany Williams, is restarting that. She has hired a new staff person for the 50-50 sidewalk program. What that is, is if your sidewalks are coming up and you want to get them replaced, um, you will contribute 50% of the cost for the replacement of the sidewalk and then the city will chip in another 50%. And so that program has been uh, on hiatus and it's gonna be coming back um, and be reinstated very soon. Um, and then the last updates that I want you to give to you are about um, the two aldermanic committees. Um, and so the one is the infrastructure committee um, I have been talking to the current members of the infrastructure committee and we are relaunching that and we're going to be having a meeting uh, at the end of uh, February to uh, look at um, getting more members. Uh, there have been always a lot of vacancies on that committee and so uh, keep posted regarding um, uh, that committee and um, recruiting some more members. Um, and then the other aldermanic committee is the development review committee. And so I'm in conversations regarding that and um, relaunching re that and getting that up and running too. So that is my report for tonight. Does anybody have a couple questions? Don't see any in the chat and I don't see any hands raised. And I am aware that you probably have to hop off to another meeting, so. Um, if any questions do come up, I can I can happily shoot them your way. Great. All right. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for your time. All right, we're going to jump into uh, the treasurer's report. Rachel will take it away. Uh, 
Right. We had a pretty straightforward report this month. So we're talking about the last full month. With, so we're talking about January uh, revenue and expenses here. So in January, we had started with $1,446.44 in the bank. We had uh, $80 in revenue, which were all from membership dues. So special thanks to Dan, uh, JC, Aaron Bish, uh, Ken Johnson, and then Ben Phillip and Shana Gifford uh, for their dues donations in January. We had our usual expense of $14.99 for Zoom. So with that, our ending balance was $1,511.45. So we came out a little bit ahead this month, which is great. Very nice. Um, if you would like to be a dues paying member, uh, you can pay by cash app dues are pay what you can, uh, no minimum, no maximum, uh, in years past dues were $10. Uh, you can pay by cash app with the link there, or if you're paying by cash or check, you can reach out to us at forestparksoutheast at gmail.com and we can work with you on coordinating uh, a cash or check payment. Question in the chat, uh, when are dues due? I think you can submit those any time that you're comfortable with. But Dan, you can share how it's historically uh, worked in the past. Yeah, uh, you can you can pay your dues at any time. Uh, you need to be a dues paying member to vote in uh, uh, a board election. Um, but otherwise you can pay uh, whenever you'd like. Uh, dues are re renewed every year um, and are good from January 1st uh, through the calendar year to December 31st. Um, jumping over to the next section really quickly, uh, discussion to become a nonprofit. So I'm gonna just quickly touch base on our goals to become a nonprofit and then Rachel will kind of discuss uh, some, some of the financial details around it. Um, we, we would love to be uh, a community that is uh, better at communicating with, with everyone in the neighborhood. We've heard in the past that uh, not everyone is aware of the neighborhood association, of our meetings, of what's happening in the neighborhood, um, and as well as increasing the participation, whether that's at meetings or events across the neighborhood. Um, fundraising money would help us host neighborhood, neighborhood events, uh, we could better create and print welcome packets, which we can discuss here in a little bit, uh, meeting notices and event flyers, and then any other charitable and educational purposes. And of course, not for the purposes of benefiting any, any person. Um, Rachel, I'll, I'll turn it over to you to, to speak quickly on, uh, on the back end of things, and then we can uh, see if anyone has any thoughts on, on us becoming a nonprofit. Thanks, Dan. So, um, as with anything, there are pros and cons to becoming a nonprofit, and there's some legwork involved and some paperwork involved primarily, but um, I really see this as a lot of benefit to the organization. We can, once, if we apply and receive nonprofit status, we can apply for an exemption from uh, income tax, so meaning uh, we are not taxed on the revenue we receive from membership dues, et cetera. Um, we can also then apply uh, with the state of Missouri, and there's no cost to do this. We can apply for an income uh, for a sales tax exemption 
um, both on purchases in Missouri and then again through the city of St. Louis. So any supplies that we need to purchase, things like that uh, would be tax-free. We can get a reduction on postage uh, as a nonprofit, which would help with some of our mailers that we, we may want to do in the future. Um, of course, as a member, you can write off your uh, donations on your taxes uh, if we have nonprofit status. And then I think this is interesting, but uh, having that certification would put us in a position to apply for grants that are only available for nonprofit organizations. So we could certainly um, apply and potentially acquire some funds to do more with uh, as a nonprofit organization. So I think those are all really important points. The cons, as I see them, the, the upfront cost. Um, we've researched a number of options. I think the best avenue, and some of you may be familiar with this, is to go through the online platform called LegalZoom where they, um, we pay a fee and they essentially fill out everything that we need to fill out to get nonprofit status. So we don't have to um, go hire an attorney, pay those fees, um, try to piecemeal together what we may or may not need is just a, uh, a package um, that we get and we can apply through LegalZoom. So the cost to do that, there are a couple different packages that you can get through LegalZoom we, the, the very, very basic package uh, is $421.95. I uh, happened to find a, a promo code this afternoon, so that would get us down to uh, $398.05. Uh, call it $400 to get the nonprofit status. There's a, a more expensive package above that that expedites, um, you know, the filings and all of that. I don't think that's particularly necessary for us, but um, the $400 filing includes everything that we need, um, gets us an official corporate seal and also gets us a federal tax ID number that we will need um, and really everything we need to go to get started. So the ongoing expenses um, what we have to do on an annual basis. Um, LegalZoom does have a compliance package that's $69 a year. And I think it would be worthwhile, at least for the first year or two, where they will monitor and track all of the uh, tax and uh, other deadlines that we would have to file reports or um, accounting related items for and let us know when those dates are and what we have to do. And so, $69 annually, it might be a worthwhile expense, at least for the first year or two, until we understand the full scope of um, and get in the swing of things on what's due every year. So uh, that's an option. The mandatory annual expenses are $11.25 to maintain nonprofit status. So every year you have to go online, uh, file a um, quote unquote uh, report to the Secretary of State. It's a one-page document that lists who the directors are, um, who um, essentially who the registered agent is, and that's it. It's pretty basic. And so that's our only requirement moving forward. So um, any thoughts from the group? I know that was a lot of information, but um, in summary, we'd be looking at 400 bucks possibly a $69 annual expense to monitor compliance for some period of time, and then an $11.25 ongoing fee to the Secretary of State. 
thoughts? Questions, thoughts? Seem like something that's worthwhile. Um, if there aren't any thoughts, or if you have thoughts later, you can always email us, uh, and and we can we can we can discuss there and take those thoughts into consideration. But uh, we'll go we'll go back and uh, as a board and discuss if and how we should go move forward at becoming a nonprofit uh, so we can start fundraising money uh, for some uh, bigger and better uh, plans for communicating and uh, participation. Hey, Dan? Yes. Are, um, I don't know about thoughts. I mean, are we voting on this or is it just something in the works or is it, is it are we green lighting or what? Uh, this wouldn't require uh, a, a membership vote uh, it would be a board vote if we decided to move forward with it. Um, we are open to hearing everyone's thoughts or concerns before we move forward. So I think if we were to vote, it would take place in the next meeting. Well, listen, hey, I, I want to say I think it's a great idea. It's about damn time. Let's go. I, I, <laughs> I appreciate you guys. You are real hey, go getters. We need to go get and not stop bullshitting and sitting idly by being a do-nothing-ass neutral form group. You hear me? Thanks, Dan. You're and welcome. Michael. And JC. All these guys, hey, or go get it, guys. I want to make sure you, hey, everybody knows that. And you guys deserve an organization that actually can get stuff done. I appreciate That's it, Dan. Thanks. Right uh, we're going to move on here because I know we're, 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 we're slammed for time. But thank you, Dan. Appreciate it. Right on. We waited a long time for you guys to get here. Thank you. You bet. All right. Uh, so with that, uh, I'm going to jump into community updates. Uh, we have a few of them. I'll try to get through them quickly. I know we have a lot to cover. So uh, the first one is Danny here. She is part of the dog park committee. Danny, if you are here, please speak up. Otherwise, I can speak for you. Sort of. All right. Uh, so the Forest Park City's Southeast Dog Park Committee is in charge of the dog park located at Shoto, um, and I believe that's Newstead. Um, we are, or Taylor, I can't remember my streets. Um, they are looking for committee members to help with fundraising activities, uh, events, and overall just creating a better park for our doggos. If you're interested, you can email fpscdogpark at gmail.com or the Forest Park Southeast Gmail, and we can get you in touch with Danny and you can help this dog park be amazing. Uh, next, uh, it was, we were told that we didn't have a community contacts page on our website, so we have one. It has everything from emergency, non-emergency numbers, city services, elected officials, utilities, and neighborhood organizations. So if you're ever in doubt of who to call for what, you can go here and, uh, you'll have an answer. Next, we're planning events and I'm gonna turn it over to JC, to talk about those events. Hey everyone, thank you for joining us this evening. Um, so thank you also for all those who submitted responses towards the events. Um, currently work in progress on those for this year. I'm working with a couple of the top event listings that were voted on. So like neighborhood exclusive restaurant soft opening. Um, currently working with bootleg and barbecue around the corner to see if we can um, schedule a certain event with them as a soft opening, some sort of event per their kind of circumstances. So I should be meeting with him in the next couple of weeks to review and see what we can have planned. 
Um, the Ice Cream Social, I have reached out to Serendipity, who's joining the neighborhood um, either later this spring, early summer. Um, so we're kind of looking into that as well. And then the neighborhood flower and tree planting. So I'm actually looking into Operation Brightside. And Dan, I actually owe you a response back to the uh, forest relief program um, to get involved with that as well for tree plantings in the neighborhood. Um, so we'll see a lot of activity taking place overall. Um, probably plenty of communication coming around events, even possibly something that we haven't talked about is maybe even needing an event committee. Um, to help out with some of these details. So more to come, um, but I'm really excited for where the year's headed. Yeah, uh, so we do have a hospitality committee, but nobody's on it. I think JC is our volunteer board member who is running it right now. Uh, we do and would love all the help. If you are in love with events, if people go to you for party advice, I think we would love you on this committee. Uh, again, you can reach out to JC in the chat, myself, in an email and uh, we'd love your help. Totally, thank you. Thanks, JC. Uh, another community update here. We are looking to revive the Block Captain program. Uh, it's, been, it's been a long time since the Block Captain program has been around. I believe it was previously uh, administrated outside of the neighborhood organization association, um, but we would love to bring that back. Uh, I think it would create a lot of opportunity for uh, block to block, communication, as well as block-to-block -block events, getting people out of the house, getting to know one another. And I think through that creates a safer neighborhood. Um, we do have this live on our site right now. So if you're interested in becoming a block captain, motivating others, organizing mini cleanups, reporting issues and concerns, um, and educating neighbors on, on what's happening, we would love to get you involved. Uh, you can reserve, uh, you can put your name down for your own block. Um, and we can be in touch with welcome packets and uh, other information on, on ways you can help us and we can help you. Lastly, uh, community update from Park Central and their stay in place program. Uh, last month, Linda was here to talk about their stay in place program and what's available to Forest Park Southeast residents. There's uh, a lot of financial assistance available to those who qualify. Um, we can send this out after uh, the meeting here, or you can reach out directly to uh, Park Central with that phone number or register through that bit.ly link. Uh, lots of Q&A updates. Do we, have, do we have any questions before, before we move on to our wonderful guest speakers? Cool. All right. I am going to turn it over to Katie, who will be driving this portion of the meeting talking about the Tower Grove connector update. Katie, I think you're on I think mute. You're on mute. I knew it. It's been too long. Uh, thank you all. Well, thank you all for having us tonight. I, I want to say uh, from the Tagro Connector Project team, we're really excited to be here um, and so great to have you guys as neighbors on this project. Um, I'm also joined tonight by Sarah Arnoski, uh, Taylor Marsh, and Kelly Davis, other members of the project team who are here to answer questions if you have any 
Um, today, we're just going to be talking about a couple things, primarily um, about a couple changes that have been made to the project since the last time we met. So many of you maybe were on the Forest Park Southeast Neighborhood Association meeting last June when we came to visit. Um, since then, we've had quite a few updates that we want to share with you. So today we'll be going over a progress report. We're going to share with you what we heard from the public engagement um, and then show you the changes to the project development and talk about next steps and when you can expect to see some uh, movement on the ground. For those of you who are not familiar, the Tower Grove connector is intended to be a 1.4 mile cycle track. It's connecting Tower Grove Park all the way to Forest Park Southeast. Um, that the Cycle track is going to go along uh, Tower Grove Avenue and Van Aventure and then turn north on Sarah. Um, in addition to that, you're going to see sidewalk and crosswalk improvements throughout the corridor. We're going to have enhanced mid-block crossings on Tower Grove Avenue, ADA compliance at all the intersections that are affected, new traffic signals and traffic management upgrades, which means you'll have better traffic flow. Hopefully uh, the, the signals will be timed so that your movement through the corridor will be a little faster. And then in addition, there is going to be a repaving of Tower Grove Avenue as part of this project. Here we are in the project timeline. So you may remember we saw you um, a little less than a year ago, we came and introduced the project and talked about the open house. Um, that open house took place in July and we took all that feedback we heard from all the public meetings we had had up until that point. Um, and then we synthesized that and adapted the project, and now it is ready for what we call 60% design plans. Um, we've cleared the environmental clearance portion. Um, we're 60% of the way through design, um, and we should be anticipating construction to begin uh, at the end of 2020, or in the middle of 2023 and end around June of 2024. So we're moving right along. Um, as a reminder, we did a lot of public engagement. We met with over 300 people throughout this process. Um, the things that we did, you may have already been a part of, but you may have seen, we have a project website, um, www.towergroveconnector.com. We keep that updated with news and information about the project, as well as some frequently asked questions. We sent out a mailer along the corridor to over 800 businesses and residents. We've had meetings with the aldermen, meetings with stakeholders who own businesses and properties along the corridor. We did some community champion training with avid bicyclists and uh, community advocates so that we can make sure we're addressing the needs of all mobilities along the route. Uh, we do send quarterly email updates if you've signed up for our email list. And then of course we met with you as the neighborhood groups and then had a public open house last summer. After all that, and we synthesized the information, we've now come back, um, we're having our second round of meetings. As Alderwoman Peel mentioned, we did meet with her earlier this week, um, you guys, Forest Park Southeast and uh, Shaw neighborhood have been our neighborhood meetings. So you will be our last of the neighborhood meetings. And then tomorrow or our final stakeholder meetings will go with the property holders uh, just to remind them of the changes that are coming. We heard a lot of things, but most of it was very positive. So we're really excited to share that this is this project has overwhelming support across the region from neighbors and businesses alike. Uh, we did find out through our public engagement process that there are some parking different needs uh, along the corridor. So certain areas have different parking uh, requirements than others, and we needed to make sure they were accommodated. There was some concern about wayfinding at key decision points of how to get across the intersection or how to use the cycle track properly. There was a, a lot of conversation about 
concerns on a barrier wall. So the first draft of the design had a barrier wall in Vandeventer that protected the people on the cycle track from people who are driving their cars. Um, there was some concern that that just wasn't comfortable and it wouldn't encourage people to drive. And it just uh, aesthetically wasn't a, as desirable as other options. We did hear that we needed more opportunities to cross Tower Grove Avenue. Uh, and there was strong support for placemaking and art throughout the corridor. So we were always looking for opportunities where art could be incorporated um, and design could be enhanced. And then finally, there were some thoughts about how do we transition onto and off of the cycle track uh, into other areas of the city. So we took all of that information, we synthesized it, and then we modified the design. Today, what I'll be showing you in the current development is only going to be the major changes to the design. So if you were here the first time around, um, if we're not showing you a piece of the design, we are happy to bring it up and answer any questions. But for now, we're only going to be talking about the major changes from what you may have seen last summer. So the first major change is that there are going to be uh, additional mid-block crossings on Tower Grove Avenue. You can see that they're located just east of Botanical Avenue at Cleveland and at Floor Place. All three of these mid-block crossings will be raised, so they will have traffic calming elements that also prioritizes pedestrian movement over vehicle movement. So it's a wonderful addition. It makes the space more easy to walk and bike and it, may, it allows the folks in the Shaw neighborhood to access the cycle track uh, easier than having to get on Magnolia or Shaw in order to access the, the corridor. The other thing to mention is there will always, there will still be uh, crossings at Shaw and Magnolia, but these additional crossings are raised and are intended uh, as mid-block crossings, there is an opportunity. It hasn't been confirmed yet that there's an opportunity for, for rapid flashing beacons so that lights can be turned on by uh, people wanting to cross those to signal to drivers um, to slow down. That hasn't been confirmed yet, but we are, are still exploring that opportunity. Another thing that has changed from the initial design, you may have remembered that we had, uh, what, what was originally proposed was the cycle track on one side of the underpass on I-44 and then the driving lanes on the opposite side of the underpass. Um, with further consideration and talk with the neighborhood, we have decided uh, to modify that and put the cycle track and one travel lane on one side of the street and allow uh, travel in the opposite direction on the opposite side. So essentially it's what you experience today, except instead of having a large sidewalk and driveway, um, what you're going to have is a cycle track on one side of the street. This does mean that there is about a 12 foot wide shoulder on what we would say is the east side of the underpass. And there is still opportunity to explore what to do with that 12 foot space, um, but it is not intended for driving. And we will look for opportunities to make sure it is safe and not used for passing as a passing lane uh, underneath the, uh, the road, as it's just a quick trip underneath the underpass in order to get uh, through a, a tight pinch of an area. The big change that you guys will notice, especially those being in Forest Park Southeast, is that we have modified the design on Vandeventer. So as I mentioned before, there was a lot of concern about what we had, what was originally proposed as a barrier wall uh, to protect the cycle track from moving traffic on Vandeventer. We have modified that design now, and instead of having four lanes of moving traffic and one parking lane, what we will have instead is three lanes, two lanes in each direction and one center turn lane and parking on both sides. So this is essentially called a road diet. Uh, Van Adventure will get a road diet treatment. There will be opportunities now that there weren't before to have plants and trees 
on the south side of Vanaventure. So where you see these bump outs, um, where driveways cross the road or where, where driveways cross the cycle track, there's an opportunity to create bump outs to put trees in. Um, without the barrier wall, we also have the opportunity to add in pedestrian lighting to separate the parking from the cycling lane. So for all of these purposes, the, the sense is to create a more livable space, to have a transition zone between moving cars and moving cyclists that is buffered by a parked car. And then these buffer zones that have the grass and trees in them are to prevent people from using the parking lane as a passing lane. So you'll see this is a great opportunity. We're really excited. Um, as you see on this screen, um, the before and after is going to be significantly different. So what you see above, you've got four lanes of moving traffic and two parking lanes with sidewalks. Um, at the bottom is our new configuration that has three lanes of moving traffic, parking on both sides, and then the cycle track uh, on the side of the street that is the same side as uh, Rockwell Beer. So I think our, our whole, uh, the outlook is still very positive. We actually had to take this design back to East West Gateway to ensure that it was still improving traffic flow and reducing air quality, improving air quality emissions to ensure that it was still eligible for the grant. Uh, and it was. So we can say with uh, with some positive, or we can say pretty conclusively that the solution that has been proposed is still an improvement over the initial traffic that is on the road today. So we're really excited to share that this is going to be um, not only improving the way traffic flows, but improving the experience of the entire corridor. Finally, we talked about transitioning. There is an opportunity to do for, uh, the uh, the Tower Grove Connector Phase 2, and we'll talk about that in just a moment. But until Phase 2 is complete, we do have a transition at the end of the corridor at Vandeventer and Sarah uh, that explains how to get off the cycle track and back into traffic. So as you can see on your screen, uh, we had initially proposed a rapid flashing beacon at this location that has been changed to a full signal. So you'll have a, a signalized intersection here that has the opportunity for bicycles to cross on a a bike crosswalk separated from pedestrians who will be on a pedestrian crosswalk. Once they reach the opposite side of the streets, uh, those two lanes of traffic split for the bicyclist and um, they continue going in each lane in what is currently uh, mixed traffic. So as you can see, if you follow those arrows on the screen, that is how you transition off of the cycle track and onto the cycle track when you're in the neighborhood. Just a uh, before we, we finish today, I want to go over some next steps. As a reminder, um, we are sharing these news, new updates with you first. Uh, however, we are going to be sharing them with the public very shortly. So in about 48 hours, we will be sending a news blast out to our contact list. We are updating the project website with this new information. So you can go to the website. The About the Project will be changing. Um, look for that in about the next 48 hours. If you want to keep on the contact list, because we will continue to give you updates as we move forward, please feel free to join our project updates and submit your email and subscribe. You will receive quarterly email updates until the project is complete. As I mentioned, there is a Targo Connector Phase 2 in proposal. This was submitted for a grant just last week, uh, and the hope is that we can finish the corridor all the way to the Brickline Greenway and the Metrolink station at the Cortex. Uh, this will be a 0.65 mile cycle track, so the cycle track itself protected from cars. 
Uh, we'll travel all the way down Sarah, all the way to the Metrolink and Brickline Greenway. Once we pass the Metrolink Brickline Greenway point, um, there's still consideration. It will not be a cycle track, but it will likely be some other form of bicycle infrastructure to get all the way to Forest Park. This also includes new signal upgrades. You can see there are some new signals. There's also uh, some modifications to the signals just so that we can coordinate signal timings throughout the project. Um, and this gives us really unprecedented access, um, creating that multimodal link we've always wanted to get to the Metrolink station and really throughout the region. So keep an eye out. We will be sending a notice as soon as this is open for public comment. It will be coming through East-West Gateway. Um, we expect to ask for public comment in spring of 2022. So if you do support this, you, you guys were wonderful. I remember we had over 90% of positive support for the Tower Grove Connector Phase 1. We'd love your support again for Phase 2 as it moves on to the next phase and hopefully gets completed in the next few years. So thank you all for your time. We really appreciate it. And now we'll take your questions. Question in the chat uh, from a bit ago. So uh, Sarah, feel free to chime in if your question wasn't answered in the discussion, but um, I'm sorry, my Zoom, my Zoom just messed up here. Um, Sarah was wondering, how does it work if a cyclist goes north on Tower Grove Avenue or Vandeven? A great question. Let's give me just a moment and I can pull that screen up for you. Taylor, Taylor, you answered a little bit. So I think it'll maybe elaborate while Katie's pulling that up. Yeah, absolutely. So it'll be really similar to kind of what you experienced today. So um, the, the design, you know, currently there's a lot of parking considerations. You've got several schools, um, and things kind of North on Tower Grove. So there just wasn't the flexibility to kind of continue the same level of facility. But that being said, we definitely want people to still be able to choose that option. Um, and so what Katie is pulling up shows kind of how you will transition out. Obviously it's black and white, so it's going to be a little bit difficult to follow. Um, but you'll still have that southbound bike slot that was re-added. Um, about two years ago to get kind of like across the intersection. And then um, I, Katie can kind of lead with her cursor, but you'll, you'll be able yes. to transition back onto the street on street connection and continue very, very easily north on Tower Grove. So I'll, I'll let you highlight that, Katie. Yeah, if you follow my mouse as you're coming up Tower Grove in this direction, um, this is where we had some conversations about improved wayfinding because this is a crest of a hill and we want to make sure people don't try to, to backtrack um, so at, if you're traveling north, you'll cross through. Over here, there's a bicycle crosswalk. Uh, you'll cross over Vandeventer and then re-enter traffic headed north. If you are coming south, you'll move over into this bicycle lane. You'll cross Vandeventer. There's a bike box over here and transition into the cycle track and then uh, continue south. You do have the option to just stay on the road if you are a brave cyclist um, and transition into the corridor down at McRee. Uh, but if you are someone like me, who's a little more timid on bike, I'll probably take this jog over here, get back on the cycle tech track and stay protected from cars. All right, any other questions? I don't see anything else in the chat. Um, in well, regards to the raised roadways that you were putting along, um, Tower Grove Avenue. Are there any plans for anything like that along Vandevender? 
you know, that is a big stretch from Tower Grove Ave to Sarah, um, even if with the regards of a street light going in for that section. Uh, is there any plans for that, anything like that? At this time, there are no plans for raised crosswalks on Vandeventure, but I'll pass it over to Kelly, our engineer, uh, and she could answer that question. Yeah, with the speed, because the speeds are a little higher on Vandeventer, so those kind of traffic calming measures probably won't work for those speeds. But, and there are signals. There aren't, you know, on along Tower Grove, there are just four-way stops. So people tend to go a lot faster through there. So those work. And with the signals, I think that um, on Vandeventer, they just, they'd be ineffective because they're going to have to stop anyway, if that makes sense. Um, but we do have, um, with, with the new um, signal on Sarah, they're adding another kind of traffic calming measure on top of the narrowing down between Boyle and Sarah as well. So you're, you're getting, I, I think you'll you'll see a noticeable difference in the speeds of the tra of, of traffic. I know that like the speed limit is posted as 30 and no one goes 30. We know that. So <laughs> hopefully this will help and make it a lot safer. And, and then having that extra parking space there to separate you from the travel lanes will, will be an also added benefit to make you feel safer. In addition to that, in terms of like the actual cycle track itself along Tower Grove and along Vandeventer, are all like your driveways and non-major intersections will be raised um, in that section as well, right? Correct? Yeah, that's yeah. correct. Okay. And so, so it, uh, you'll be up to where you're elevated also. So nobody's going to come out of those driveways. You're, you're going to be, they're going to be able to see you a lot better. I know some of those alleyways with the buildings on Vandeventer are a little scary when you're walking down because the cars can't see you as they're coming out. Mm -hmm. They'll be, you'll be okay. raised, elevated higher. So you'll, you'll be much more visible. Nice. Awesome. Thank you. What, what's the thinking behind this design? I mean, you know, when you start killing traffic, you make it inconvenient to go to an area and, and, and to drive from a, from north to south. If I want to get to Kings Highway and jump on Vandeventer, I want as many lanes as possible. Uh, I, I don't so, see the demand. I mean, it would seem that you would have a demand. I don't see like tens or 15 bikes on Vandeventer wanting to bike over there. And it's like you guys are spending a lot of money. It seems like it's really based on money to make make something that there's no demand for. And you're making it really inconvenient to drive that way. It's like when they had that street diet on Grand Avenue now, where they slow down the traffic. Yeah, that's why now, now I never go down Grand Avenue because it sucks. It's It slows you down. You have to take the side streets. Are we trying to push people away from traveling in our neighborhoods? No, Dan, I think the, the thing that we're really proud to say is when we did the traffic modeling, that this was still going to keep people moving quickly through the corridor. So. This won't make your trip any longer through Vandeventer. It's it's still going to improve your trip from where it is today. Wait a minute, from four lanes to two lane, and I'm going to go as fast. I mean, I jumped on Vandeventer today, and I went right to King's Highway, and I was coming from Lindell, and it was yeah. great. Due but to the signal timing. Just as fast? Yes. The, how. The, at, at least right now, the traffic study does indicate that with the signal timings coordinated, you'll be able to move more quickly through the corridor without stopping. Really, instead of two lanes, I'll just get one lane and I'll still, there's a lot of traffic that Dan, goes up. Dan, really? she, she's answered your question. So the study means hey, it'll happen no matter what? Improved tra tra traffic signaling, I think you'll be fine. Um, yeah, she's, if, how do we vote no? And, and let me tell you, because I mean, they said Biden was going to be great too and it's not working out as well. I mean, can we vote or is this this already this they spent the money already? The route 
The other important piece to recognize on this is it's actually um, a, sh a pretty short distance. It's not the entire length of Vandevenor. So it really is just as people approach that Tower Grove Vandevenor intersection, it's allowing people to, as they come up, up that hill, um, move a little bit more intentionally um, okay. and allowing protected space as Katie has outlined for the, the bike and the ped. Right, okay. you're really only getting narrowed down between Boyle and Sarah. So okay. what you're talking about, like to King's Highway, you're still gonna have okay. on like after Manchester and like you're it's gonna be the same amount of length. So it's a very it's a very small area. Will they add additional coordination to the light signal at 44 and Vanaventer to accommodate for that backup that occurs? Yeah, if you I if I can pull up, if you remember the map, everything that was a light on our map, those will be all coordinated. So all the way up to Forest Park on Van Venter. What about the other direction though? So there's a lot of backup that occurs in those two lanes that back all the way up to Tower Grove Avenue from 44 in the evenings. Ah, yes, actually that is, as, as people are, there we go. As people are coming out of the Central West End, so it is. So the, the, I guess the message I would say is if you see the dotted line on this map, that's mm -hmm. new signal interconnects that don't exist today. So that's a fiber optic line that we'll be adding. And that will allow all the signals that are connected to that fiber optic line, not just this particular fiber optic, li optic line, but any of them in the system that are linked up that can be coordinated together so that they, they function as a system. Okay, so yeah, so totally understand that. So I guess the dotted line I would I would want to see connected going down Vandevenor, almost where it connects it as a triangle to coordinate and sync the lights going under 44 for the traffic that turns left going into the city and then for the traffic that turns right going into the county, because there's a lot of backup that occurs with those light signals when they become unsynced quite a bit lately. We can follow up and see if that's on the city's network already or not. I'm not sure. Yeah, I was going to say, I think by doing that little extension, even though it doesn't cover the street that you're mentioning, JC, it does actually, I think, connect to the same system so that they would all be okay. Yeah, it would just be awesome to familiarize yeah, If you sit there any day in the evenings during the week, it, it backs up pretty good. There's also an ongoing study that is particularly for the, the 64 corridor. Um, that's taking place right now. So we are they they play quite a bit into each other. So this is a this is probably the most densely populated area of the city of St. Louis um, and the most fast changing. So uh, every time we we solve one problem, a new one is discovered. But we are working pretty uh, pretty rapidly to address anything that comes up as these things change. We are hoping that by adding the bicycle connectivity, that we are removing people who are using local traffic. From, from hopping on their hopping in their car and taking a trip so that they can get where they need to go without needing to drive. Okay, no, that, that provides great clarity. Thank you. Got a couple of questions in the chat here. Uh, when I receive directly, the question is uh, regarding funding. The question is, I'm part of a I'm part of the Forest Park Southeast Business Association, and there was a meeting a while back to engage the business community. Some of the businesses along Band of Venner wanted to do landscaping and improvements, but were concerned it would be ripped out with a future project. Are there any partnership 
opportunities to help with cost sharing? That's a great question. At this point, because the, the cycle track is going to be handed over to the city of St. Louis, the planting is going to be city of St. Louis standard planting, so trees and grass. Um, there, there's some, some concern from the city in particular that um, they've had agreements with different agencies in the past and gotten burned uh, because the maintenance was not completed. And so they're just very cautious about that at this moment of making an agreement. So they, they like to keep, at this point in time, it's going to be standard grass and trees, nothing too elaborate. But I, but I will add that if property owners along the uh, corridor are interested in using their own private property to enhance the landscaping, like by all means, um, we'd be really thrilled to just continue to enhance that, that section. Fantastic. Uh, next question in the chat is, what entity is performing the traffic study? So that traffic study was performed by our firm Lockmuller Group. We also performed the initial traffic study um, so that that qualified it for the, the CMAC. And then we, we came back and did a, a revision and then submitted it to East West Gateway for review. And East West Gateway um, has a program that they put it in the air quality review process and it still came out positive. So we were happy to see that. Last question I see in the chat here is, are there any similar programs nationally to help people, um, I think that's a typo, per purchase bikes in neighborhoods surrounding developments like this? It depends on the community we are. Oh, I was gonna say, Taylor, you've got the, the hookup with this. There, there is some new national legislation this year that was coming through the federal transportation bill that would um, provide some incentives for e-bike purchase. Um, I think some of that got passed. Um, I'm not sure the structures of what that is, but if you wanna pop your email in the, in the chat, I'm happy to follow up with uh, any details as I see that emerge. Well, thank you all. You guys have been had wonderful questions and great insights. Um, uh, please sign up for the. Before yes. you go, I do have one question. Um, I uh, I do appreciate the thought about if you wanted to jump on the um, cycle track like coming down Tower Grove Avenue from our neighborhood, um, but I, I am an experienced. I wouldn't use that crossing uh, after crossing across Vanaventer and then the, the extra cross to get over the cycle track. I wouldn't use that. It's a great opportunity to get to get bulldozed by someone turning left or someone turning right. Um, people just don't see when they're making those wide turns. Uh, it, it's, it, it seems kind of dangerous. Um, have you guys considered a signalized intersection that would just allow bikes to go uh, and then just cross diagonally straight onto the, the cycle track? That actually, might be a safer option just to have if you're if you're redoing the signaling anyway just to create a bike only single that allows people to go straight across without having to do a dangerous crossing um, perpendicular to the road we actually do have a diagonal signal similar to what you're saying that is bike dedicated at mccree so which is what we were talking about you could come down and hit it there. Vanavenner is, I mean, uh, Tower Grove and Vanavenner is such a long intersection that would be a very long, you know, diagonal crossing and um, would be pretty hard. I don't, we don't have our, our signal guru on right now, but I think that would be very hard to time that um, 
for that. But McCree is a smaller intersection and easier to, to envelope that into the timing. So there is that diagonal crossing. So it's basically kind of like a, a bike scramble instead of a pedestrian scramble. You have your own dedicated signal there and you can you could easily jump into that and get on the cycle track there. And we can provide better, um, you know, some, we're trying, that's why we put the bike box and the, the you know, high visible pavement markings for the cycles. So hopefully I get what you're saying that those are some wide turns there. And I'm with you that people don't always look, but we're hoping to make it much more visible. And, you know, anything, you know, use those, those feedbacks, anything you guys can think of to help us add additional signage or, or anything would be, you know, helpful. We want to make it safe for you, for sure. Michael, in addition to that, I think um, if I remember the conversations correctly from the, the signals person, um, all of those approaches for automobile traffic, you know, even though that is a, a perpendicular crossing, you know, rights on red will be restricted while the bikes have a green. So there will be a separate bike signal that allows people to go across. And so while that's green, there won't be any left turns allowed. There won't be any right turns allowed off of Vandeven or onto Tower Grove. So it will be like a fully, you know, fully protected signal phase. We all know people people run red lights right now. So, you know, that being said, um, but in terms of how the actual flow in, in the movements, all of those kind of crossing movements will be restricted during that time. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah, if you guys could keep looking into that, because, you know, it's, it's a well-known saying in, uh, in, in biking communities that paint doesn't protect you. You know, lights aren't going to protect us. Uh, people drive how they're going to drive. And uh, the only thing that stops people are, you know, barriers and um, and did the, the idea that they might actually get hit by another car. So is there any final questions? I know we're pushing up on eight o'clock here and maybe you have a couple of other items to touch on, but uh, if you have any final questions, feel free to chime in. We can send any any other questions that might people might have uh, uh, to the to the email that we have with uh, the Tower Grove core tech connector people. So um, do you want to be respectful of your time tonight? I appreciate uh, all of you coming out uh, and talking about the Tower Grove connector. Um, and uh, if you'd like to, to get to uh, your, your evening, you're welcome to hop off. Otherwise, you can stay on and have a good time with us. Um, otherwise, thank you again for coming out. See you guys. All right, a uh, few last topics here. Uh, I will share my screen really quickly. Uh, we are gonna turn over to Jamie uh, Cox and talk about Preposition R. Jamie, I think you have uh, the ability to share your screen if you'd like. Okay, awesome. Thank you, Dan. And thank you to everyone for having me, <clears throat> excuse me, join your meeting this evening. Really excited to be with you guys. I'm also a neighbor on the other side of 40, so it's always good to hear about what's going on down south. Um, so again, my name is Jamie Cox. I am a volunteer with the Reform STL Coalition, which is a grassroots coalition of community members that are proposing a proposition, Proposition R, on the April 5th ballot of this year. And I'm here to share with you all what we're proposing, why, and why I hope that you all will be supportive. So, 
why we're proposing Proposition R. Um, we believe that currently under the current city charter, there are not enough sufficient protections against conflict of interest. And what this means is that at the current state, um, the Board of Aldermen is allowed to engage in conflict of interest that in other cities typically wouldn't be allowed. Um, some examples of these are, um, that they're able to vote on legislation in which they may have a personal financial conflict of interest. They draw their own ward lines within our ward redistricting process. Um, and sometimes they may feel inclined to overturn the will of a people in votes that have been passed um, by ballot initiatives of citizens. Um, and we believe this is not fair and should not be a practice and is not um, of ethical guidelines of the way we would like to conduct business in our cities. So what are we proposing? We're proposing that um, we uh, will reduce these conflicts of interest within our propositions. We want to keep neighborhoods together and we want to make sure we put um, people over the political interests of our city. So tonight I'm gonna talk about what all of that means and what these policies are. Um, and again, I know I have a really short amount of time and we're running late into the evening. Um, if you want to read the proposition in its entirety, uh, we do have our full policy proposal on our website, reformstlouis.com. And I can share that link with Dan and Michael here this evening to make sure you all get access to that. So again, there are three tenets of our proposition that I'll talk about this evening. The first one is reducing conflicts of interest. So what do I mean when we say conflicts of interest? Um, I'll give an example here. Let's say we decided to have a vote to shorten all of your meetings to 30 minutes instead of the 45 minute time slot that you have. Not that there's not great content being had here, but everybody knows we like would like more time in our evenings. Um, so we put that to a vote before you guys. Um, but then I say half of you will get an extra $100 if you vote no. Well, what does that mean? That means that probably the, the meetings aren't gonna get shortened because everybody wants an extra hundred bucks. Um, and that means that that half of the group of people have a conflict of interest in the way that they vote um, because they would be more inclined to vote for their own personal interest in getting that hundred dollars instead of what may be beneficial to the entire group. So that's just an example of what a conflict of interest is. And when it comes to our city politics and our board of aldermen, um, that's not something that we wanna have within our own board. And unfortunately that is the case and um, the way things are governed under our charter today, when some of our members are our board of aldermen, may be more inclined to vote on a proposition or a policy that they have a vested interest in instead of what may be better off for their people. So that's what we'd like to eliminate here. And in our legislation, we're proposing that the Board of Aldermen would recuse themselves for any items of legislation in which they may have a personal or financial conflict of interest. And this is something that's standard. This is not new. We're not making this up. There are plenty of other cities that do this, Dallas, Austin, San Diego. And we're really just trying to get St. Louis on the level of what other major cities are doing in our nation. The second item of our legislation um, is related to the redistricting process. As most of you may know, um, the wards in our cities just got reduced due to the last uh, 2020 decennial census from 28 to 14. This is a major change for us and we're going to be entering a new direction in the way our Board of Aldermen is structured. But we believe that going forward in the future, that 
process should be handled by the people and people should be able to elect their politicians, not the other way around. And in the current process with the Board of Aldermen drawing their own ward lines, they're able to um, have influence on the way wards are structured in a way that may benefit themselves more or their races and elections more than what would benefit the general city. And this is something that is changing within um, around the nation as I've described with other cities trying to implement more citizen-led redistricting commissions. And this is actually something in the, in the state of Missouri, we tried to implement statewide with Clean Missouri, as some of you may have heard of a couple of years ago. And while unfortunately that process didn't work, the principle still stands and people that were proponents of that legislation would understand that again, it's more important for citizens to have control and election over their elected officials. And that's the principle behind what we're trying to propose here with this element of the policy. And finally, we believe that if the people of St. Louis pass a piece of legislation um, through citizen-led propositions such as this one, then that will should stand with the people that elected it and our people of our cities. Um, unfortunately, sometimes the Board of Aldermen feels that this should not be the case. And some of you may have heard of a current proposition right now, Proposition D, um, that is being contemplated other than the Board of Aldermen as potentially being pulled back. And that's something that 68% of the voters passed when they passed that proposition. Um, so we do stand behind keeping Proposition D in place because people of St. Louis have voted for it and they believe that this is good policy for ourselves. But again, this whole entire policy is about the future and making St. Louis strong for the future. And we believe that anytime the people of the city put together a bill or a proposition and it passes, then that should stand. And if people of St. Louis want to reconsider that proposition, then it should go back to the people for a public vote and not be decided within the board of all the persons. So again, I know that that was a lot of information in a really, really short time period, um, but there's a lot of people that are gathering and being in support of this policy that's being put together by this coalition. And we have a couple of them up for you guys today. Um, and if anything that I've heard resonates with you, we are asking and looking for volunteers right now um, to be able to canvas with us and share this message with other people in the city. And if you're interested in doing this, I can also pass this message and this link along to Michael and Dan to share with you guys. Um, but again, I just wanna reiterate why I personally am supportive of this. I think it's important um, that the people of, the people and leaders of our cities, particularly our board of alder persons is held to a high ethical standard. And we have a lot of great things happening in our city, a lot of great changes that you guys have heard about tonight. And if we wanna keep that happening, then the leaders of our city should be held to a high standard as well if we wanna make positive change. And I think starting with the way that our charter is governed and the ethics and basis of our city is a great foundation to ground that upon. And I hope you guys agree. Um, so again, I talked really fast. I apologize again for the brief amount of time, but happy to answer any questions if there's time for it. Jamie, just really impressed of how much information you can share with us in five minutes and how well, well presented it still is. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I try. I try my best. <laughs> but yeah, any, any questions or comments at all? Doesn't look like we have any questions in the comments, um, but we will. Can but, I talk? Um, what's that, Don? Can I talk? Uh, yeah, do you have a question for the presenter? Um, okay, uh, I don't think we have any questions for you, Jamie, but uh, okay. we, we will include all of this information um, in the minutes and we'll share it out in, in an email to, to the group. So thank you so much for joining and hanging late with us tonight. No problem. Thank you guys again for having me. Yep, thank you. All right, bye.
All right, I'm going to share my screen here really quickly. Uh, we we are at eight o'clock, but I will uh, talk about uh, some proposed changes to the bylaws. Um, uh, here we go. Can I see your application? Can you see my screen? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to start here with a little bit of what we've heard in the past uh, about the association, our role in the neighborhood, um, what you guys have told us and what we've heard from, from others. Um, one thing that we've heard is that decisions are being made for our neighborhoods um, should be inclusive of the residents within our neighborhood. So um, at times we don't feel like the neighborhood is represented um, and, and, and we hear that. Um, We've heard that it's important that our, our forum here is free of politics. Um, we've heard that it's expected by city boards and officials that the neighborhood associations provide community input. And lastly, we've heard discussions about if our bylaws, uh, the clarity around our bylaws, if somebody could own multiple parcels and have multiple votes as a dues paying member. Uh, so the board got together with these concerns, drafted some amendments to the bylaws, uh, in which I'll quickly overview here. Uh, if I can scroll on my screen, let's see, here we go. Um, the first amendment to the bylaw is uh, to allow for the participation in discussion in decisions that affect uh, our neighborhood. Uh, on the left, you have uh, what's being amended. The uh, second amendment to the bylaw here is uh, on boundaries. Um, we've amended it so the boundary of Forest Park Southeast will accurately reflect the boundaries drawn by the city. And then I know this looks like a lot of change in this one bylaw amendment, uh, but simply put, uh, it's to clarify that one person equals one vote. It closes a potential loophole that may allow owners of multiple properties to vault multiple times. Um, these particular amendments right here were, were uh, came over from the Benton Park Neighborhood Association um, and their clarity around one person equals one vote. Um, happy to hear any opposition or concerns or support for these amendments. Um, if you have any questions or concerns, you can drop them in the chat, raise your hand, um, voice voice what you what you what you think, and then the board can take that in consideration for for next month. Dan, did you like raise yeah, I'm raising my hand. Yeah, what, what would you like to say? I'd like to say, good job, right on. Politics means policy, and they've been screwing us because they made us a, a took our teeth and our testicles off, so we could never vote on anything. So they could just, hey, Park Central got to say everything we had to do, and they shoved it down our throats for years. We got to take control of our own neighborhood because, hey, we live here. Hey, thanks, Dan, JC, and Michael. You got hey, you guys are getting it did. Thank you. I talk too loud. <laughs> you're very you're very passionate. You're very passionate, Dan. 
I'll tone it down. Sorry. Thanks, guys. I appreciate y'all. We got to have some democracy around here. Thanks, Dan. Uh, anybody else uh, have any thoughts on, on these amendments to the bylaws that they would like to, to share tonight uh, for us to take in consideration for uh, any further amendments? Um, all right. Um, we will consider uh, a motioning to approve these amendments to the bylaws next month. Uh, we'll take any feedback between now and then uh, through email, or you know, you can talk to us in person, of course. Uh, if you have any thoughts, you can share them at forestparksoutheast at gmail.com. Uh, next up, uh, we'll present more details in Mar our, our next meeting is on March 15th. We'll present more details on events. Uh, we'll we'll represent any amended bylaws with possible forward vote. Um, uh, further agenda to come. Um, if you have any suggestions on topics we should cover, again, you can email us and we'll happily consider put, putting those into uh, next month's agenda. Without uh, any further ado, are there any last minute questions, concerns um, before uh, we say good night? One, one final quick mention here. I think Sweet Tea uh, meant to uh, comment on a couple things here from her email she sent to us earlier, Dan, but as an FYI, she is having office hours uh, this Saturday, February 19th from 2 to 3.30 at RISE. I'll drop her flyer in the chat here so that everybody has it in case you're interested in uh, attending that. And then the other thing, uh, Sweet Tea, I think she forgot to touch on was uh, a town hall. I apologize, this graphic I'm sending through the chat is going to be a little bit blurry, but this is what we have. But I think this is important. So I wanted to make sure that everybody received it. But uh, Mayor Jones is hosting an LGBTQ plus town hall uh, that is this Thursday. So two days from now, it's a virtual meeting. So the details are in the chat. Try to pull it up on my screen. It's a little hard to read, but this is the LGBTQ town hall. And then uh, I will open up the office, office hours graphic for everyone to see really quickly. Uh, do, 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 office hours. Um, there you go. Rise Coffee, two to three, Saturday, February 19th. Um, well, I just want to say thanks to everyone for coming out tonight. Uh, thanks to the board for being super active um, and taking the feedback from uh, residents and, and the neighborhood. Um, if you guys are interested in becoming a block captain, please shoot me an email or visit the website. If you guys are interested in helping out with events, uh, let us know. We would love all the help we can get. Um, and we'll also look into uh, formalizing becoming a nonprofit. Uh, with that being said, um, thanks everyone. Uh, again, for coming out um, and uh, see you uh, next month, I hope. Awesome. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, everybody. See ya.